0: Parenting is the hardest job on the world. In the world, it is so hard, and we all want to be really good at it. We all want our kids to be, you know, we're bringing up our kids to be independent. We want them to be well-rounded. We want them to love people. To we want them to sort of, you know, we want so much from our kids, and we put all this pressure on ourselves to to do that. And yet, there's only so much we can do.
1: Hey, everyone. I'm super excited for this week's guest, Rebecca Mickey. She is a children's sleep consultant based um, out of Seattle. And we really dive into a lot of the specific challenges that, you know, new parents or parents of multiple kids or toddlers face in particular, when it comes to getting them to sleep. Um, this is kind of the first episode where we've dived in, dove into parenting um, specifically, but I wanted to encompass everything um, with this show and we think about in pursuit of better, that can include becoming a better parent and, and better role model for our kids. And, um, you know, it's tough in society today when we see all these comparisons or what we should be doing as, as workers, as business people, as parents, um, it can be tough. And I really like Rebecca's message because it touches on the fact that, you know, we all struggle, uh, as parents and to be open and honest about that and find support is really important. So I uh, really enjoyed our conversation today. Hope you guys get something from it, but let's dive into the conversation with Rebecca. Hi, right, Rebecca, well, I want to say thanks again for, for joining us today. And you know, we were chatting a little bit before, but I, I want to get a good idea of what a sleep consultant is and mm-hmm. then kind of we'll dive backwards to see how you kind of got into that role. But what is it that you do? Uh,
0: so I help families to teach their children to sleep better, have an easier time sleeping. Sleeping is something that as adults that we love, but as children, we kind of detest. Um, And so I want to help families get their children loving sleep as much as we do.
1: Why is it so important? I mean, it's probably a, seems like a simple question, but why is it so important for kids to get sleep and sleep appropriately?
0: Well, we think that we, when we think about sleep, we think sleep is being, you know, a really natural thing. We we all do it. Uh, we have to do it. And so you think that it's a really natural thing. But actually learning to sleep independently is a learned skill. Um, and when it comes to being a new parent. Uh, we kind of do whatever we need to do to get sleep. Sleep deprivation is used as a form of torture. And when you've become a parent, you can see why it is really <laughs> effective. Um, and so we end up doing whatever we need to do to get as much sleep as possible because of a mul- whole multitude of reasons. We've got to be back at work um, and just society, just a lot of reasons that we need our children to be sleeping and um when you most of the time i'm working for families who kind of got to that point where they just something's got to change it's just not sustainable um and so that's when i come in and help families then make those positive changes to be teaching more independent sleep skills
1: what i like about your system and, and mainly just your message like on instagram is you talk a lot about taking the pressure off of like ourselves as parents where it's it's okay to be frustrated it's okay that you don't have all the answers so when you're meeting with people or you're talking to first-time parents is it usually about teaching specific skills in order to help your kids fall asleep or is it more about that training the parents to understand that it's a process and it's and it's a challenge
0: yeah it's a bit of both A lot Mm -hmm. of my work is actually educating families on what's normal when it comes to sleep because there's a lot of misinformation out there on what actually is normal uh, when it comes to children's sleep. So we set ourselves up with... Um, unrealistic expectations to begin with. So that's part of my job is looking at what's actually normal. Once we're then looking at what's normal, we're then looking at what's normal for your child, because there's this whole, you know, range when it comes to what normal is. So we need to find out exactly how much sleep it is that the child needs. Um, And then once we are able to kind of like let that guide us, we're then able to make tweaks and changes. Uh, But yeah, it's, Uh, parenting is incredibly frustrating um it's again it's one of these things that you think is going to be really easy because i mean the human race is still going so it's kind of you know it's kind of got it must be easy but it's not um and it's a lot of conflicting advice on absolutely any parenting topic there is a lot of conflicting advice i mean you just need to search for anything online and you'll come up with a bazillion pages every single one will contradict the last one Uh, and so that's really frustrating as well that leads to a lot of frustration is that you just don't know what's going to work what's going to work for your child
1: and that prompts a lot of questions because what my wife and I found like whenever we first when we had our first child and I guess I didn't realize is that not only is there so much information out there with conflicting information but everyone has an opinion (laughs) about how you should be doing it or what the best method is so I guess I, I want to dive back. You said it's figuring out what's normal. What mm-hmm. is normal? Like, or how do you help someone define what's normal?
0: Mm. So normal, to be honest, is just a setting on your dryer. That's it. That's what normal is. That's what, <laughs> that's really the, the only. That's the only normal. Way. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's good to know. Um,
0: it's we look at big ranges of normal, and that's generally in amount of wake ups that a child will do, the okay. duration that they need to sleep. Um, and then as well, looking that waking during the night is normal. And we're all after a child that's going to sleep through the night. That's our that's all of our goals is to have a child who sleep through the night. We're setting ourselves up for failure with that goal, because no, there's not one person on the planet who sleeps through the entire night. We all wake during the night. Mm. Anything up to 10 times is normal. So range from one to 10 is pretty normal. And we will all wake during the night. So if you're after a child who is not going to wake, that's not going to happen. So you want a child who is an independent sleeper. So that's where they can get themselves to sleep. And then when these wake-ups naturally happen, they're able to get themselves back down to sleep. But also then within this realm of normal is looking at when are feeds going to happen during the night? Because children need to feed during the night. There is no set age, weight or anything magical, mythical, scientific, anything of when a child does not need to feed during the night. Some six week olds are no longer feeding during the night and some children will actually be feeding during the night until they're over a year old both of those are normal. Um, And so that's obviously a huge, big range. Now, of course, we all want the six week olds who are going to no longer feed during the night. We all want those, but the majority are not. Yeah. It's within that realm of normal because some are doing it, but most are not. Um, And that's how a lot of sleep information out there is, is that you look at what's that it's presumed because some can, the all can. And we know that that's not the case. Some children are rolling over at 10 weeks. Others are nearer to five months. Both are normal. Now, we're not sending six-week-olds, you know, or um, really young children to a physical therapist because they're not rolling over when some can. Um, We know that there's this realm of normal and they'll get there. And that's the same with falling asleep independently and, more importantly, with feeds during the night. Is that just because some can does not mean that all can when it comes to feeding during the night.
1: I never thought of it in terms of I wake up during the night. Cause I and, and I probably have that typical frustration where it's like if you're tired, like kids are angry when they're tired and they don't want to sleep. It's like, well, if you're just, just go to sleep then that would solve all your problems, <laughs> yeah. <all>, everybody's <laughs> problem. But I never thought about it that we even as adults, it's normal to wake up. We just know how to then go back to yeah. sleep. Yeah and we're really
0: good at it we're really good I mean most of us are really good if you have insomnia that's where you struggle is the falling asleep the falling back asleep part is where you struggle but with that kind of you know if you don't have insomnia you're really good at falling back asleep you may just roll over and you don't even realize that you woke up you woke up but you rolled over you were able to get down to sleep there are going to be other wake-ups where you maybe you do look at the clock you are more aware of it but very quickly back down to sleep if you don't have those skills to get yourself back to sleep, you're relying on something or someone. If that thing or that person is not there, you're not able to get back down to sleep. So if you rock your child to sleep, they're going to naturally wait during the night. If you're not continuing to rock them during the night, chances are they're going to need help. And that's where you then step in, rock them, they get back down to sleep. If they're hungry, then they're going to need to feed to sleep. And that's where things get a little bit tricky, is that Children will still need to feed during the night Mm -hmm. until they're ready to stop. And trying to keep your child awake during the night whilst they're feeding is nigh on impossible. It's a really, really hard thing to do. And so you do end up feeding back to sleep during the night when you may be thinking, well, is my child now relying on the feeds to get to sleep? Well, if they're hungry, they're probably not going to be sleeping if they're hungry anyway. And it's just... Mm -hmm. I'm trying to sort of balance all of this is to look at okay is my child hungry are they you are they just requiring this feed in order to get back to sleep or do they have these skills to do it themselves child who has the skills to get themselves to sleep will be able to do so when they are not hungry during the night then they'll need to feed and then they'll be able to get back to sleep
1: i feel like that's a key differentiator right like they actually have to be uh satiated to
0: yeah exactly none of us sleep well if we're hungry we all get (laughs) (laughs) hungry
1: for sure um so like one of the biggest controversies is obviously like the 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 cried out versus more of a gentle approach and Mm -hmm. when you talk about like there's independent sleeping being able to put themselves to sleep i think that's where a lot of people were like well that's why you just leave them and let them figure it out but your approach is the the very gentle even you say very gentle. so talk to me about how you decided or came upon like what what's your basis for doing that approach versus a more cried out or mm. like ferber method and yeah. things like that yeah that's right um, yeah
0: yeah so i have two kids who are now 18 and 19 years old so they are now amazing sleepers don't want to get up <laughs> really really good at it <laughs> but they didn't start out that way um, they started out um, very very different sleepers uh, my eldest we called him the amazing non-sleeping baby because he mm. was just very adverse to sleep uh, for a very long time my youngest has a very different uh, personality um, and would sleep a little easier but found it hard to kind of get there but would sleep a little easier so I have a very short, uh, very small age gap between my two kids, just 14 months. And uh, pregnancies were the same. And I was so intrigued by how different their sleep was, even though sort of, you know, they were just very different people very, and they slept very, very differently. So this kind of got me really looking at who their personality is um, and how that impacts sleep and so that's when i started off on my working with sleep journey which was many many years ago uh, over a decade i've been, i've been working solely with sleep i started looking at how a child's personality and their temperament will impact the way that they sleep it also impacts in the way that they learn and the way that they learn these independent sleep skills so i like to work with a child's unique temperament i call it their sleep personality work with their sleep personality And generally I'm working with families who have children who have a more intense and spirited child. So these children are the ones that really struggle with sleep. That was my eldest really struggle with sleep. Um, And we need to use really hands-on gentle techniques to work with the, to work with these children, because these are the techniques that work. If you're trying to leave an intense spirited child to cry, they will cry and cry for hours. Mm -hmm. The longest I've heard of is somebody contacted me years ago Everybody had been telling her to cry it out. She had a really intense, I think he was about eight months old. Everyone, including a pediatrician, said, just leave him to cry. He cried for eight hours. And that's oh when the parents gave up. That was not when he fell asleep. They kept going in and doing those time checks. And it just didn't work because he got himself more and more worked up. And when you got that level of crying, the child's beginning to panic and nobody's sleeping when they're panicking. Um, So working with a child's unique temperament. And so that's why, okay, mainly using hands on gentle techniques are going to are going to work for for those intense spirited children. But they work for all children. And I feel as well, we work on during the day, creating a real secure attachment with our children during the day. Why should that change? Why should we just ignore them when they're asking for help at nighttime? Now, it's one thing being fussy and just kind of like, oh, I'm awake. It's really annoying. Yeah, I get it. That's kind of easy to ignore. Your child is just kind of like, you know, fussy. They're moaning about being awake. They're not asking for help at that point. But it's when it gets to that bigger, urgent, you know, that urgent I need you now cry. That's one that should never, ever be be ignored because your child is asking for help. We wouldn't ignore an elderly person. You wouldn't mm-hmm. if there was an elderly person in bed saying, I need someone to come and help me. You wouldn't just be like they'll figure it out. You would go <laughs> and help them. And that's the same with your child. If they're really needing help for whatever reason, then I always feel that you should go and help them, regardless of whether it's 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. Yeah, it's miserable getting up for them. 15th time at 3am I get it it's really miserable but if your child really really is asking for help you should go and help them because we want to continue with that secure attachment and don't we want our children to know that you're always going to be there for them regardless of that day or time you're if they're needing some help we want them to feel confident that you will be there and you will help them because I tell you when you when your kids become teenagers That's when they want to talk is at 11 o'clock at night, just after you're getting ready for bed. That's when they want to talk and they're going to open their heart to you. And yeah, it's miserable because you're thinking, I need to be up really early tomorrow. (laughs) You just kind of got to suck it up because you want your kids to know that you're going to be there for them. And, and unfortunately that means 24 seven.
1: Wow. And that was so much good information. Um, And it's like the perspective of, just because they can't use, verbalize exactly what they're needing. Yeah. Um, but you still want to be there to support them. So is this, and then this again, a little bit, um, I don't know, but is is the methods that you chose based on like pediatric medical research, or is it just based on your experience and what's been helpful for all mm. the clients you've worked with? Like what, what is the basis for like gentle versus crying it out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So uh I, the gentle that I use, it's my own technique that I use that I spent years developing. um, And we really initially help the child get to sleep. And then we work on gradually getting less and less involved. So the child is slowly becoming more independent. So depending on the child's sleep personality and their age, lots of different things we take into consideration depends on how big these steps are. It can be really, really tiny little steps of getting less involved as much as slowing up the rocking if you're rocking a child's sleep beginning to slow that up Um, and then doing that over a series of a week to the point where you're hardly rocking at all so this is the start of getting less involved but it can be much bigger steps as well and then we work on slowly getting you less involved to more independence Um, and it's just with a lot of working with families for a long time that I came up with this and it just you can't go wrong if you pick up your child when they're asking for help and you soothe them when they're needing that help and you lay them down, then when they're soothed, you can't go wrong. You can't pick up too many times. You can't be over helping because if you're just kind of like following those simple rules of pick your child up whenever they need help, soothe them however they need to be soothed. And then when they're soothed, you lay them back down. And then you need if you need to be hands-on, you can help them again. Then you can't go wrong. Just follow those rules and you can't go wrong. When it comes to cry it out, the idea is that you lay your child down and generally with Ferber, it's these timed checks and you need to leave your child until it is time for you to go in, whether, you know, and it can be just a minute, it can be 10 minutes. But if your child instantly needs help, you've got to leave them for the, re- for the remainder of that time. So if they're needing help and they're getting to that, well, you know, because they don't know what's happening, they've never done this before. Well, they're beginning to They're if you're leaving them for a while and they're pan and they're getting urgent cry. They're panicking. And when they're panicking, then uh, the fight or flight uh, re- response has been triggered. Nobody's falling asleep with that. So just the way that I think of it is think of if you were just for going for a nice hike in the woods and um, you came across a bear and you start running because the bear's coming at you, you start running, you're panicking, you're running. You've never run that fast in your entire life. You're panicking and you find a cabin and you get in that cabin and you lock the doors. You've never run that fast in your entire life or that far in your entire life. And you're tired because of that. You don't instantly think, oh, I'm tired now. I'm going to just take a little cheeky nap. You Mm. don't do that. You're still panicking. And the longer that you leave your child with that big urgent panicky cry remember this isn't just the fussy cry this isn't a fussy this is the big urgent panicky cry the longer that you leave them with that the more that fight or flight the more cortisol that's going through their system the less likely they are to sleep so with that kiddo that i work with who cried for eight hours he was panicking for a lot of that time and that's why he couldn't sleep
1: because in theory you're just leaving them longer with the bear yeah
0: yeah
1: interesting um now, so then, what was um, what was your background before becoming a parent? Like, what so? What, do, um, <laughs> what work did was, you
0: do? I worked uh, with families in many, many different capacities. So, I have a degree in child development. So, I've worked okay. with, uh, I've worked with many different capacities with families. I was been a nanny. I've uh, managed daycares. I worked with all sorts um, of of different capacities with families. Um, I started out my business just as a general Parenting consultant. Um, So, working with families who had toddlers who were having tantrums. And nine times out of 10, once we got the sleep kind of resolved, everything else Mm. would fall into place. So, we were dealing with a toddler who's having lots of tantrums. When we get down to it, okay, yeah, that toddler's only getting five hours sleep a night. No wonder they're having lots of tantrums during the day. Let's fix the sleep. Everything else fell into place. So, I decided that I need to be really concentrating on sleep. And when I did that i was um one of two sleep consultants on the west coast there were just there were two of us there were a few more on the east coast there were kind of like none in the middle of the us it was just um there were just a few of us it was a really kind of like new thing when i when i got started which is about mm-hmm. 13 14 years ago
1: well it's it seems like it's a needed thing too mm-hmm. the more you talk the more it's like because i and I think a lot of people fall into this you want one solution that would work but the way you describe it do you, do you actually build on almost profile for each child because you talked about their sleep personality you talked yeah. about their age benefactor. factor so mm-hmm. as a part of that consulting is actually building literally a sleep profile
0: yeah basically yeah so a lot of times when I when I initially will talk with families I ask them Sort of what's where sleep is right now, and then what's historically has been going on with sleep. And so, just with that, I can nine times out of 10 tell what the sleep personality is of the child. So, it's either laid back um, and easygoing, shy, slow to warm up, and intense and spirited. So, I'm able to tell from that conversation as to what sleep personality that child has. Um, and then they'll fill out the information on questionnaire. They do take a sleep personality quiz as well, because that really helps me to see because they may be more intense and spirited, but they're probably not going to be intense and spirited with everything sleep related. They may love to go through their, their nighttime routine, but it's that last bit of falling asleep that they, that they don't really like. So it's looking to see where exactly they are. They're going to be more laid back with some areas and more slow, shy in other areas and then more intense and spirited with others. So every single family does does that uh, sleep personality quiz, because that really just is a really good way of being able to tell what, things we can do, what we need to steer very far away from, as well as the pace that we need to work at. Then we're looking at things at the the child's age, but it's also then looking at the family dynamic, um, where the child is sleeping. Are they sharing a room with their parents? Are they sharing a bed with their parents? Are they more more independent? Um, And looking at, obviously, then any medical issues, anything like that. But, you know, are there other carers trying to get a real good sense of everything that's happening with the family, really helps me then to be able to for us to hit the ground running be able to start making some real positive changes um the way that i work as well it's not a quick fix and i know when it comes to sleep because most people when you're looking like okay i need to change something you're at that crisis point you're just like i can't do another night and so that's why we want that kind of quick fix when you're working with these more slow gentle techniques it's not quick. As I say, it may take you a week to slow up that rocking. So you're doing minimal rocking as you're rocking mm. your child to sleep. That's not quick. Um, and so that's another another hard thing is that I know when you're searching for, for solutions with sleep, you're kind of at that, that rock bottom. And I am not going to be, I mean, we can start getting some better sleep. We can start making things easier, but it's going to take us weeks for really to see the results. Now so I know there are other sleep consultants out there who are using different techniques and different methods and who will get quicker results. And that's great. But the families that I work with, it will t- I work with families for, privately I work with families for about six weeks, maybe even a little bit longer, uh, because we break everything up. We start working on our night times first. Well, we start working on our daytimes, looking at t- making sure our timings are right, getting some really nice, lovely sleep inducing routines for our nap time and for our night time, working on those beginning to get less involved. And at this point on week one, I'm looking to see changes that we make with sleep. How is a child going to react? How are they going to do? Again, that gives me more of an insight into who the child is. And then come week two, that's when we start working on our night times. And that may just be beginning of the night, maybe the entire night. Once we've then spent a few weeks working on our nights, then we'll start working on our naps. So we're breaking it up against these tiny bite-sized steps, which are can be pretty frustrating. I get that. But We want to get results with sleep that get there as quick as possible, get there as easily as possible, meaning that as minimal tears as possible. So, as easy for the family as possible. But we also want to get results that are going to last because we know sleep is something that's constantly evolving throughout entire lives. Sleep evolves. And we want, we know that there's things that are going to come up, especially with children. There's teething, there's illness, there's sleep regressions, there's um, so much that happens, just needing less sleep. There's just so much that happens with sleep. We don't want it all to go out of the window once we hit our first block, you know, where sleep regression, or we move house. We don't want it to be then your child forgets everything. We want it to be that we've got really good long term results, so that we can navigate all of these changes that we know that are coming in the future, and make that as smooth and as easy and as, as smooth sailing as possible
1: how do you handle the those those hiccups those sicknesses and sleep regressions is it we kind of pause the training or is it more Almost more training. Like what? What's this? Yeah, it
0: it depends on what that what that illness is. Mm. Um, really. So if it's just a little bit of a a mild cold, we'll probably carry on. But often, especially right now, and there there doesn't seem to be any mild colds anymore. They they're really knocking us out. So (laughs) we put everything on pause. Like you just do whatever you need to do to get everybody the best sleep possible. We can always work on getting you back on track once everybody's feeling better. But it doesn't mean you've got to be feeling, especially with colds, especially with kids and colds. If you have children who has a cold, you know, the snot, there is snot everywhere and that hangs around for a real long time. Don't feel you got to wait until all of that congestion is gone. No, you want to make sure that your child is not having a fever, that they're not really uncomfortable. Then we can start getting back on track. There's always going to be these, because children are teething, there are all these different things happening. So it does sometimes feel it's just stop and start and stop and start. But that's going to be the same once, you, once you're, throughout your your child's entire life and I kind of like it when I'm working with families and we do get an illness because mm. what you do will always be the same you'll always do whatever you need to do but getting back on track will always be the same as well so at least if we're working together as we're getting back on track then you know what to do in the future
1: because they can get discouraged right if they don't no longer have you or whatever and yeah. it's like now yeah. like am I doing something wrong yeah you talked about, um initially about the first consulting experience being around just parenting as a whole and and childhood development. And I want to step back again to the the cried out method, because some people, you know, swear by it and have found success Mm. with it. But do you, in your opinion or in your experience, has there been like more of that long-term, maybe not even behavioral side effects, but does it seem to impact kids longer term? Um, Mm.
0: Yeah, there have been studies done on this that um, show that, there are no long-term behavioral issues with children who are left to cry it out. So there are studies have been done, but I mean, I live in Seattle and we're kind of like, you know, we're kind of crunchy here, but there are, well, there used to be meetup groups for adults who were left to cry it out as children. So there is, this is impacting people in ways that you may not think um so but behaviorally no studies show that there is no there is no um okay behaviorally. but that's remember that's for the children that cry it out worked for so that's a good point so there are the a lot of children that cried out doesn't work for and those are the ones it's just not it's just not going to work so the ones cry it Out works it works great for a lot of families um and it never really gets that big urgent cry. It's sort of like, you'll know within 20 minutes whether it's going to work or not. And by all means, give it a go. Definitely give it a go. If you ever get to that big urgent cry, and you know that one, it's that one that makes you kind of jump out of bed before you're awake. It's that real big cry. If it ever gets to that, or if it, it seems to be ramping up, 20 minutes, then it's not going to, it's generally not going to work. If you kind of get stopping and starting and fussing and singing and chatting and talk within that 20 minutes, keep going. So chances are it's going to work, but it's just big, urgent cry. It's kind of game over. If you get to that point is your child's not going to just suddenly be able to calm themselves down from that panic to be able to fall asleep. They may fall asleep. And oftentimes what we'll see is a child will then who's got to that big panicky, they'll cry for hours and hours. They'll fall asleep maybe sleep for 20 minutes and then they're awake and they're up and they're crying again because they just fell asleep out of sheer exhaustion, just had enough of a nap to then wake them up because they're not getting sound sleep because they're panicking. (laughs) Um, And then they're up and awake and they're big cry again. So sometimes we see it, but that doesn't mean it's working. That means that they just were so exhausted that they couldn't, that they just couldn't keep going.
1: Sounds sad. Yeah, uh, it, it, is. it is. It is, isn't it? And that's yeah. the
0: thing. You, I, 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 I get a lot of flack online for this, but you don't need to leave your child cried out. And I'm not judging anybody that does.
1: Right.
0: It works. I say it works for a hell of a lot of families. It and it works really, really well. But you don't have to use it. You even with laid back, easygoing children that cried out would work. You don't have to do it. There's other techniques that you can use that will work because it's just. I mean, remember, and you know your child better than anybody, better than absolutely. You know whether it's likely to work or not. If you think it's going to work, chances are it's going to work. Most times families will be like, I know that cried out. Everyone's saying to cry out, I know it is not going to work for my child. Then chances are it's not going to (laughs) work. If you think it's not going to work, it won't work. So don't even try it because it's just a lot of stress for everybody. It's a lot of energy as well to do that. And it just then will make sleep more of a challenge. Because now we're getting some trust issues as well, then with your child. And can they trust that you're gonna be there when mm-hmm. they're asking for help? Can they trust that their bed is a safe place and that um it's that they can be comfortable there? now we've got to then rebuild all that trust and that's hard to do.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll quit harping on the cry it out. Um I just you hear so many things, so it's like I like To get your expertise on the differences there but one thing I want to switch to and and talk about a little bit is you mentioned like where the child's sleeping so bed sharing or co-sleeping how does that impact the training or like if someone's doing I'm asking because that's what we ended up doing Mm, Uh, mm, (laughs) how how does then that transition work to then getting them Mm, independent you know mm, what I mean
0: yeah so uh, I'll often work because uh, I am, am um, much more gentle. I'll often work with families who are bed sharing and co-sleeping. And, w- and some of them want to continue doing so. They want to do have more independent sleep and they want to continue bed sharing. And that's great. Others are just like, no, I am done being poked in the eye and kicked <laughs> in the stomach all through the night. Right. Now it's time to stop. And so, again, it's looking at the whole child's sleep personality as to... Are we going to work more on changing the room first or are we going to work on more of those independent skills first? So looking at who the child is as well as looking at what sort of the what the parents generally know, which sort of like, OK, I want nope, they need to be out of the bed. OK, let's work on that first and then we can work on that more independence. So there are different ways, that, different ways that you can do it. If your child, if you want your child to comfortably sleep somewhere, they need to be comfortable with that space, and that comes with play. So, if you want to change their bed mm. or the room, they need to be really comfortable with that space. So, that comes with play. So, I know a lot of a lot of information online is that you, your child should only sleep in their bed; they shouldn't be for anything else. The only time that they ever go in there and they start like wondering where the heck they are because they've never been in there before, they're not gonna just sleep. Like, they're not just gonna sleep. The same way as when you sleep in a hotel. It feels different. It looks different. It smells different. You don't sleep great for the first couple of nights that you're in a hotel, so it's going to be the same for your child. So they need to be comfortable with the space. So playtime. So not associated with sleep. Not when they're tired. Not when they're hungry. Just as part of their playtime during the day, in their room and in their bed, where you where you want them to be sleeping. And just start small, just a couple of minutes and get them out when they're having the time of their life because that makes the going in the next time so much easier to do. So just like you're going to be saying right there with them, playing with them and then get them out and then just do that three or four times a day. And so that they're really getting comfortable with the space um, and comfortable with the room as well. That's then really helpful for when you then want your child to be sleeping a bit more independently uh, because then they know what the space is they know that it's a good space they they know that we want it to be that they can wake up and they're not like oh my gosh where the heck am I get me mm-hmm. out of here that they're actually thinking oh yeah it's actually pretty cool in here I kind of like it and <laughs> instantly freaking out so they may then be like oh yeah this is okay um and they're going to be much more comfortable with the space if you're moving away from bed sharing as well it's never an all or nothing so you could start just the beginning of the night, start by doing your bedtime routine in the new room and then go into your bed to fall to fall asleep. Then start doing more of that routine. And then you can either start getting your child to sleep in their room, putting them then in their bed, in their room, but that first wake up because they will wake up, just bring them in with you. And then they can, over the coming weeks, you can have them spend more and more time in their bed. So again, not a quick fix. It's not sort of like they're done now, but that's just a much more gentler, easier way um of of making that transition from bed sharing but for others it's just like they need to be out now and it's like okay how are we going to make that how are we going to make that happen Mm -hmm. so if that's the case then that would be um probably planning on sharing the room with your child so if you're going to be if they're going to be in a different room make up a bed on the floor so that you can be there because if they're used to sleeping so close to somebody for potentially their entire life and now you're going to be changing there in a different room on a different bed and you're nowhere near then again, that's that whole wake up and they could be freaking out, waking up. And that then makes them getting back into bed so much harder to do because they freaked out. So just by sharing the room with them for a few nights as they get used to that, still pick them up, help them to sleep, however you've been doing. But they once they get comfortable with the change, they're gonna have an easier time sleeping there. So practice makes progress with everything sleep related. It doesn't ever make perfect, but it makes progress. The more they do something, the easier it will be. Um, and so that could be with um, holding a child to sleep rather than rocking them to sleep or moving them into their moving them room or having made changing the bed. It's going to be tough to begin with, but they'll get used to it. And so you may find that actually sleep seems to get really challenging. They just really struggle to fall asleep. They're waking up way more often, but they'll get used to it. And so because we want that, Quick fix, which I understand. We all want that quick fix. When we want that quick fix, you think, well, this isn't working. We're actually going in the wrong direction. We've got more wake ups happening in each night. It's taken me longer to get them down to sleep, but I've got more wake ups. You think it's not working. You've got to trust the process. If you make changes, changes take a while to get used to, depending on your child's sleep personality, will depend on how long that is. But we can go, you know, I'm working with families right now, and we are moving from feeding to sleep, and we are now holding to sleep or laying with as a child is falling asleep. Initially, they took an incredibly long time to the point. Actually, we have a maximum cutoff point Um, and they would get to their cutoff point, you know, which is like, whatever, 45 minutes, they'll get to their cutoff point for four nights. And then night five, their child is able to fall asleep. And this child has either been rocked to sleep or fed to sleep for their entire life. And now we're not doing that. We're just encouraging them to fall asleep with a parent there, but on the bed. And it takes that you takes four or five nights before then they're able to do it. And then we see it gets faster and faster and faster improvement. So it's just kind of like trusting the process, making yeah. some changes that you are manageable and sticking with it.
1: When you say that nothing's a quick fix, but really four or five nights isn't that crazy. It's not that no. I mean, especially for when you're thinking about a long term solution to, to such an issue.
0: Yeah. But we all want that instant, don't we? Well, we all want that. Oh, that you know, that yeah. That's And I I understand it. Sleep deprivation is, I mean, is a form of torture. And so when you're up and you feel that things are going in the wrong direction, that you knew if I rock my child, they're going to be asleep within minutes. Or I could not rock my child. And I have no idea how long they're going to be awake <laughs> for. <laughs> it's like a no-brainer as to which one you want to choose. You want to be back to sleep. Um, and so that's when if you don't know that this is going to work, you're kind of like trust trying to trust a process that you're not sure is necessarily going to work that's hard that's right. definitely hard especially when it comes to then because your it's your well-being And you know when you're sleep deprived and you're tired everything is affected. your food choices your relationships the you know it's the equivalent of driving over the limit when you are sleep deprived and so your reaction times are the same as if you're it affects everything mm. and so it we have that Kind of self-preservation that we don't want to get that we don't want it to get that challenging which is generally why we're in that spot in the first place because we do whatever we need to do to get as much sleep as possible which is then why we find ourselves where things are really challenging and then you, you want me to make it more challenging now that's a hard sell <laughs>
1: <laughs> i imagine so do, is would you consider adding a sibling to the mix like one of those hiccups or things that would create some tension to the whole process? And how do people overcome that?
0: It actually can be really helpful. Have you, if you want siblings to be sharing a room, that can actually be a great way of having a child move out of your room, out of your bed, um, because there is another human being in the room. And generally, um, siblings are adored. Um, and so being able to share a room with a sibling can actually be really, really helpful. A lot of people don't do it because they worry about a younger child waking an older child up. Mm-hmm. When children are in a deep sleep, they're in a pretty deep sleep. So I wouldn't <laughs> worry too much about it. Um, and wake-ups happen. So, you know, they need to figure out how they're going to kind of get themselves back to sleep after a sibling has woken them up coughing or whatever, doing whatever. So they'll they'll get used to it. It's actually a really great way of, mm. I, I'd much rather if I'm moving a child out of their parents' room or out of bed sharing, if we can go to siblings sharing a room it's way, way easier than putting a child in a separate room.
1: Good to know. Um, and then what about like traveling? Do you have tips when people are not going to be at their house? Mm. or Because it's not always the same. I mean, it's never the same setup, but you may not even have enough beds or, or whatever yeah. it may be. So what are some of those things that people
0: mm, need to Yeah, think about that's a great or- question. Um, we want to try and keep many things as familiar as possible so that could be your nighttime routine your bedtime routines you can do your routines the exact same things in the exact same order that you do at home obviously it's going to be in a different venue but you can still read books at this and then do this and then do this you can can still do all of those you can still take the books with you your child's favorite books take those with you if you always say good night to the same teddy bear take that with you so you can keep your routine as similar to that you do at home to make that as relaxing as possible. You can even do as much as um, take your child's pajamas and their sheet off their bed or off their crib, put that in a Ziploc bag. So they've t- you've, t- you've taken their pajamas off, so in the sheet off the bed, it smells of home. It doesn't smell clean and new put those on when you get to mm. your venue. So the bed smells like home. The pajamas all really smell of home because they come from being worn. Um, and so those things can make things a little bit easier um, just by something as simple as that. But then expect sleep to get wonky. It's go, your child is probably going to struggle to fall asleep. They're probably going to have more wake-ups. Just deal with it. Just sort of like give them the extra help that they need and they'll settle into it. And don't worry that if you end up having to bed share because there's not enough beds whilst you're away. You just want to make sure then when you get back home that you're back on track. So that means that you are back to how you do things when you're at home. So if your child has been sleeping independently, but they've not, or they're in their own room, but now when you're traveling, you're all in the same room, then you don't want it to be, you don't want to spend a few nights when you get home, or let's just sort of like ease back into it before we then, go our separate ways in different rooms you want to do that this is how we sleep at home and go straight back into that again it may take you a night or two to get back on track but generally if you've been traveling for about a week it'll probably take you one two nights maximum to get back on track uh, the longer you that you're away the longer it'll take you to get back on track but generally a week or two you're probably going to be two or three nights and you're and you're good awesome
1: now, so i want to shift focus again to the parents for a second um because I think that a lot of times we get this skewed sense of what parenting should look like whether it be from social media or maybe it's our parents telling us what they did when we were growing up and you had a post recently that said it's it's okay not to love every second of Mm -hmm. parenthood and I thought that was really cool because it's like giving people permission to be frustrated to you know there are times when you're going to be angry or you know just upset with the whole process so how do you help parents deal with the anxiety and the stresses mm. of being a parent and, and being okay you know kind of with those emotions while, dealing, mm-hmm. while doing it
0: I think being really honest and uh, so I like to be honest about saying you know like if you've had a challenging night like wow that I'm really sorry that sucks that sounds really <laughs> really miserable um so just being really honest as well as then being honest about Things that happened to have happened to me on my parenting journey, just with, you, you know, that knowing that other people are going through similar things, I think is huge because we don't talk about when parenting sucks. We don't talk mm-hmm. about when our kids are being really, really little terrors and they are just, you know, like ha- one of those days where they just really kind of misbehave and you just, you lose it and you start shouting. And we don't ever talk about that. We kind of like all hide that. And I think a lot of that is from social media, is that we always yeah. post the good stuff. We always post about how, you know, parent teacher conferences, how great the kids are. And my kids are just so awesome. They did this and they, the gymnastic meet and all of this stuff. Those are the stuff that you post. You don't post that I'm, oh my God, I lost it for the fifth <laughs> time today. Oh my, what are my neighbors gonna think? Because I yelled at the <laughs> kids again. You <I'm> don't <laughs> ever, ever talk about that. And so it's sort of like something that it happens. We all do it but it's just we need to be more open about it we need to be more open about when parenting sucks when we don't like it um and you know yeah by all means talk about the great stuff because that's great that kind of keeps us going the the good stuff keeps us going but we just need to be really honest about you don't have to love every second there are some bits that you just that you know and i'm sure we've all done it when the kids like just like mom dad and in you know you don't say it out loud but in your you know in your head you're just like you know thinking like a few swear words and you know mm-hmm. like what the mm-hmm. what the heck now um and we've all done it we've all thought that and it's just yeah that's when you and then when you think about it you just think oh my god why am I thinking that that's awful but no we all do it it's it's Parenting is the hardest job on the world. in the world. It is so hard. And we all want to be really good at it. We all want our kids to be, you know, we're bringing up our kids to be independent. We want them to be well-rounded. We want them to love people. To We want them to sort of, you know, we want so much from our kids. And we put all this pressure on ourselves to, to do that. And yet there's only so much we can do. And kids are though, you know, they want to but you know, they want they want what they want, they want to explore, they want to do all of these things, they want to do everything and yeah, let them kind of get on with it, but it doesn't mean you've got to love every second of it. It really, really doesn't. Some of it is just awful. I mean, I'm very vocal with families (laughs) that I work with about. much i hated the first three months of my when my eldest was born it was probably one of the lowest times of my entire life Mm. i got a degree in child development i was just as i was pregnant i was just so confident this was going to be really easy for me and i was going to be the best mom on the planet you were not going to get any better than me it was it was going to be a breeze i was just going to be you know i was going to be wearing the baby in a baby carrier and baking cakes and it was just (laughs) going to my baby was going to be sleeping wasn't going to have a pacifier i was going to breastfeed and it was going to be super easy and it would just be so calm and relaxed and it was anything but the first three months after my son was born was the hardest time of my life Uh, That's that level of sleep deprivation was just something else. It is just brutal. Um, Breastfeeding was not in any way, shape or form easy. I could barely remember what my name was. And it was just the worst time ever. I really, really disliked it. Um, I was uh, incredibly low. Um, Once we got sort of past that three months, things I felt like I, I remember thinking one day, oh, I think I made it. I think I, I think I made it. I think I survived that because it now seems to be a little bit easier. Life got a little bit more predictable and it got a little bit easier and, and then it just sort of continued. Yeah. There was still struggles every single day. Um, and, but it just, we got more and more ways. We got more and more predictable. It just got a little bit more, a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And, yeah, practice makes practice makes progress. I got better at it, and it would it became I would. It's never been easy, but it, it it got easier, and I we kind of found our rhythm. But up until that point, it was awful. It was really I really really disliked it. It was just terrifying. It really was, and I, I think part of it was terrifying because it was not what I envisioned, and what I envisioned was completely unattainable (laughs) completely unattainable and i think a lot of that was just like whoa maybe you know and i remember thinking one maybe i shouldn't have been a parent and i also remember thinking as well which is just absolutely crazy that maybe my son doesn't like me Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe he doesn't like me um because if he liked me he wouldn't cry as much (laughs) you know like i mean if it'd be that simple yeah i think spending a lot of time thinking about that well, I wonder why he doesn't like me. What What is it he doesn't like about me? I mean, his mom, <laughs> of course he should like me. And spending far too long thinking about that. And it was just, yeah. How
1: did it di- How different. did it differ when you had the second one?
0: So this is the reason, one of the reasons why we have a real short age gap between the two, because I hated the first three months so much that I said to my husband, if we're ever going to have any more kids, it has got to be sooner rather than later. Because I know that i'm not going to enjoy that first Mm -hmm. three months again that um i don't it it won't happen if we leave it too long it won't happen so uh when my eldest was three months old we started trying for our um for our second Mm. i found out i was pregnant the day before my eldest was seven months old i found out i was pregnant and then my youngest was a month early so we have a 14 month age gap um it was a little bit because i knew what to expect I knew right. sort of like, I knew how tough things were going to be and I knew what to expect. So it was, it wasn't easier again, very different child. So very a little bit more laid back, easy going, which definitely made that a little bit easier. But I think just that whole sort of like, okay, I know this is going to be really miserable for, for a good few weeks. I also would then felt having a 14 month old, you kind of, you're pulled in more directions. It's not just the baby. It's I've also now have a 14 month old who I need to be keeping alive um, as well as the baby. And so it was just being, yeah, I was being pulled in more directions. I had even less of myself, but to be honest, I think that that kind of made it easier because I Mm. wasn't, I had less time to think. (laughs) And that kind of helped me have less time to think because I was just, Felt a little bit more on autopilot. I was with a 14-month-old. Been there, done that. Know how to handle a newborn again. So that was a little bit easier as well. And just, yeah.
1: Yeah, it'd be be nice if you could start with the second one, because then you know exactly what to do. Yeah. the hard part's having been a toddler that's running around on it. So it's like, I know exactly how to handle the baby, but now I don't know how to do both.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, when my, when my youngest was born, my eldest wasn't even walking. So mm. it was just like, it, was like it seemed like a really good idea at the time, but then, and I mean, the first two years or of my, when my, from after my youngest was born are a complete haze. I mean, now they're um, 18 years old. So, you know, like it was a long time ago, but I I have, very few memories, to be honest, from from when my youngest was born, because just so unbelievably exhausting. I wouldn't change it for the world. I really wouldn't change it for the world. But just, yeah, I look back at pictures and I think, I have no idea what's going on here. (laughs) Absolutely no clue what we were doing because I was there. We were doing it. But I don't remember it at all. Really, really don't. It was the most exhausting period
1: but you were, but you think you struggled less mentally than with the first yes. one just because of the expectations that you put on yourself? Like, uh, with the first...
0: yes, I think so. Yeah. Though I did um, end up with postpartum depression after the birth of my, I think I, I think I probably had it after the birth of my first um, And that went undiagnosed. It, the, for reasons that I was, both my kids, I was living in Brazil where both my kids were born when I was living in Brazil. I didn't get, um, Diagnosed with postpartum depression until I would moved back to England. So mm. that was when my youngest was seven months old. <laughs> so it took a while. So I think that probably I would I'd been struggling with it for um, since probably since my eldest was born. Um, it was very very different bringing up a child in Brazil. I had no family there, um, so it was just my husband and I, mm. and he was working crazy hours, which was the reason why we were in Brazil for his work. Um, and so I think all of, there was a whole multitude of reasons that I got postpartum depression, but I think one of those was potentially having two kids with such a short age gap, um, and support. That's the main thing. The support I would say is that I had, I didn't have any support. It was basically just me and my husband when he was at home from work.
1: Um, was that hard to seek that help? That second time or what was it did you get to a point where it was like this is too much I need someone to tell me what yeah
0: so I with my first I struggled with breastfeeding so I meant so when I was pregnant and I gave up very early with breastfeeding mm-hmm. with my eldest but I've managed to get support knowing how hard again I was it's like well breastfeeding's natural it should be easy like sleep's natural it should be easy um so before my second was born, I managed to find support. There was no support in Brazil. So I gotcha. would actually found support from somebody in England who um, I would send photos of, you know, does this latch look okay? Mm-hmm. I'd send her, her photos so that she could have a look and see. So I managed to get support beforehand. So that made things a little bit easier. Um, and then we moved out of, then when we moved out of Brazil, I was then, I, kn- I knew I was struggling. And so then I, um, made virtually one of the first things I did when we got to England was make an appointment with a doctor and get diagnosed with postpartum depression just get me on on some antidepressants please (laughs) and I I just
1: I didn't want to probe but I think it's important for people to realize that even an expert in child development and and sleep hates parenting
0: sometimes
1: (laughs) but you recognized it right and that's the yeah
0: it took a while it took a while because there was that all there was a lot of that self-doubt that, again, of I was course. like, I was going to be the best parent ever. This was going to be the easiest thing. You know, I've worked with families. I have a degree in child development. This is good. If anyone's going to be the best mother, it's me. And yeah. that was a, that was then when it was hard, was just like, actually, this, is, this sucks. This is not what I expected. There was a lot of me getting to grips with that and getting to an understanding with that and then realizing that, okay, now this is not you know after my second was born this is now not baby blues this is there's something more going on which was again that whole sort of that whole it takes time am I going to bounce out of it is it going to be okay and then I don't want to have postpartum depression if I just say I don't have it I won't have it and it's just and it took a while it took a long time it took a long time and that was just a very mild as well very mild depression but that was tough (laughs)
1: And, but uh, so like 18 years ago, we didn't have social media. but do you think that it came from a comparison, this, this idea that you weren't doing a good job or that it wasn't what you thought, or was it just from your preconceived expectations of what was, it was going to be and that, you know, I should be this expert and if other people can do it, I should be way better at it. Was it that, or do you think it was literally other people's opinions or comparison that made you feel that you weren't doing a great job? So
0: there was no social media, like we have social media now, but there, I was part of um online forums so okay. that was kind of our social media was all these online forums that you know just think back to kind of 20 years ago there was a lot of them yeah. so <laughs> um and so I was on those so there was that comparison but it, that also really helped me It was a real good okay. community so it was also then sort of a you know a venting board as well but it was that again people are really only posting about the good stuff And about how great their child slept and about how great their child is feeding and how great their child is at gaining weight and still posting mostly all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely that comparison for why is my child not doing this?
1: And it's so many things, too, especially for not only mothers, but I guess the primary caregiver. But when it comes to it, like we were comparing about breastfeeding, you're comparing Mm -hmm. about I mean, it's just everything and it's it, it can become a lot.
0: Yeah. It, it's it's really overwhelming it, yeah it's very very overwhelming because we you know we we've made sort of parenting a competition haven't we really yeah we have because when it comes to you know it's like who's you know when it's even with infants who's gaining weight the fastest who's sleeping which the is a weird <laughs> yeah. No, yeah exactly it's kind of a weird thing and it's probably yeah. really like the only time in our life that we're ever going to be gloating about getting. how much how
1: much they weigh well we thought about that too it's like my wife and I are both kind of smaller people. So it's like that we can't make a huge baby. Like, it, yeah. it, but then we get caught up in that too. And they, but I think it's because it's measured, right? They put you in a chart at the doctor's yeah. office of here's their percentile. So of course you yeah. want to, well, if I'm not at the top, then.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you want to be, yeah, I want to be at, uh, yeah. 90th percentile. It's all sort of like this. Yeah. And we get gloaty about, yeah, my child's in the nine. Yeah. My eldest always was in the 90th percentile my youngest was in the because she was premature she was in the somewhere below the fifth percent for everything mm-hmm. forever she's still petite now 18 years old still super petite um so yeah but we have parenting is a competition it, yeah. it completely is and so we are you know we we you know my my child sleeps for this long and it's just like ah uh, it's not it's not
1: not healthy it's, right
0: it's not healthy at all but with everything we do we make you know for all of our lives especially you know with sleep related it's a you know it's a as infants it's how great they're doing at sleeping as adults we do that as how little sleep we can function on
1: yeah
0: <laughs> that's our competition then isn't it i only got five hours and i'm doing okay no <laughs> you're not doing okay
1: <laughs> yeah it goes beyond parenting i guess it's it's societal that it's everything's a competition now. so how does some someone i mean besides just following your Instagram, because i think that that's a good place to start but are there resources available either Ooh. maybe on your website um that someone can start to get you know hey i, I can't i don't have time or i don't want to maybe want to do the one-on-one consulting because maybe you don't have time but are there ways to get support and information yeah, yeah um, loads
0: of ways to get support so um i have a, on my website which is childrensleepconsultant.com I've got a blog there, real extensive blog, just so you can search for anything and no doubt there'll be a video or a blog post about whatever that is. Uh, so there's a lot of information on my blog. I also then have a membership site called Slumber Academy. And in Slumber Academy, we are looking at teaching you how to teach your child to sleep more independently, where you are looking at their sleep personality and I try and break it up into these little bite-sized chunks of what it is that you need to do, how you need to adapt everything for your unique child so that you can teach them to be more independent sleeper. Um, so Slumber Academy, you can find that on childrensleepconsultant.com or even just at slumberacademy.com. You can find that that's a great way of getting the support then that you need. We've got live Q&As every single week um, so that if you do have questions, we can really help get that plan together, get all your questions answered so that we can really personalize everything for you and you can start making some really good progress really quickly.
1: That's all. How many people are in those live Q&As?
0: It depends. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like last, the last one I did last week, no one showed up. It was just me <laughs> by myself um but sometimes we'll have eight ten people on right so what i the way that i like to do it is because i know parents don't have time nobody's got time to sit through uh, i get it so parents can submit their questions beforehand and then i can answer it during the A. I note down the times that i answer people's questions so <laughs> under the recording you'll see you know that you know Simon. I answered your question at 34 minutes, so you can just skip right through. Now, by all means, watch all the questions, but you can just skip right through so you can get to the answer to your question, so that you don't need to spend an hour and a half uh, watching everything and waiting for your question because I know parents don't have time for don't have time for that.
1: But then you keep those videos on and at the Slumber academy. recording, just, yeah, cool. recording. Okay. Say that,
0: yeah, they don't stay there forever. They're there. For, we'll keep it there. We've got two weeks worth there, so that you can just. You've got plenty of time to watch that as you need to.
1: Perfect. Well, hey, I can't thank you enough for answering my questions and shedding light on such a such an important topic, and uh, you know, diving into all these different things. So, I really appreciate your time today and and uh, bearing with me for all my questions.
0: No, oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure, and they were great questions. And you know, I'm a I'm a sleep geek. I love talking about
1: sleep. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, Rebecca, well, I appreciate it again, and uh, hopefully, we'll talk again soon.
0: Yeah, thank you.